0: And welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most charmed work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Debold. And we are back to continue our discussion of Lost for Words with chapters 1.3, 1.4, and some bonus notes on uh, circles. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly Avery, Avery content this week. It's the, it's the Avery. Yes,
0: week. it was Avery and then Avery again, which I laughed <laughs> at when I read that because uh, it was very much just Wabo saying, No, there's no format, I'll just do what I want, and you can fuck off.
1: Yeah, I was wondering if we were gonna have any sort of pattern, but um yeah. you know, there's still a chance they could be, but like I think Wabo is the kind of author where he's gonna do what he thinks is right for each part, not try yes, and formulate definitely. the story to a pattern, um, which is the right the right call.
0: Or with only an Avery's head from now on, and we never go back <laughs> into Lucy and Verona's head
1: what <laughs> what
0: a move that would be he,
1: he tricked us uh no he i did get a laugh as well out of like avery again like it had such avery energy that, like it was just a sort of <laughs> oh sorry you have to deal with me again
0: yeah yeah definitely um okay so let's start with 1.3 which is uh begins with the the trio the three we don't have a good name for them yes um, we do mm, okay
1: the kenneteers Yeah, okay, sure.
0: It begins with (laughs) these three young women driving towards the woods for the weekend uh, with Matthew, Edith, and Charles in tow. They are headed to the lair of the Carmine Beast.
1: Yeah, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I just love how cool the idea is of it just takes a day to get there. Yes, isn't that awesome? There's sort of rules, like it's a bit of a ritual in, in exactly how you get there, but it's not a specific place. You you're trying to get to some sort of alternate world and the way you do that is through just sort of wandering away very specifically for a day. It's 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 so cool because it's so not non-specific and yet also very specific at the same time. Yes.
0: It it's interesting. Something that was that we're playing with in this story seems to be the kind of like fluidity and abstractness of some of these rituals and magical systems. Things just seem to, uh, be very interpretive in a cool way, even more so than, well, never mind, but (laughs) they just are very
1: interpretive. Yeah. It's, it's very like, it's not strict rules or anything. You're right. It's very like the thought that counts type stuff. It's very magical. Um, Mm. yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So yeah, we're in Avery's head for these two chapters, and we got a bit of characterization of Avery last chapter when she gave her little speech at The Awakening, Hmm. but I think we see even more here, just how kind of internalized her loneliness is over the course of these two chapters, right? She's genuinely very, very happy that she has found a group of people that she can go along with, and a lot of her thoughts, at least in the first half of this first chapter, are like, how can I
1: not fuck this up, basically? (laughs) Yeah yeah pretty much
0: it's sad i don't know yeah she's the kind of character that i feel for very heavily and i really don't want anything bad to happen (laughs) to her and actually as we like as we dive into more about her kind of backstory i I, it feels like there's more to it in the sense that i feel like we're going to find out that there's something magical involved in what happened to her in, in what happened to her in the sense of you know she basically started to slip away from the world, right, like I think there's something more magical in that than what we see initially
1: um i i mean there there could be you can't rule it out i I don't mm. know if I'm ready to jump to assuming there was magic in getting her to where she was. I mean obviously there was miss involved in getting her connected to uh, yes. like Verona and lucy that but that's that's not what we're talking about no, um yeah. She definitely, I I agree with you. I'm very scared. She feels very vulnerable to being manipulated by someone who's nice to her and and promises to like be her friend or more. Um, yeah, like you know this this sort of chapter opens with her going through this whole thing of like you know this isn't perfect, but I mean she's basically like I have friends now and there's magic. Yeah, and that's and that's cool too. But like I I got the impression that she was more like oh my god I'm part of like a crew. Um. Mm. And I mean, it's it's that obvious to us. I'm sure there are some others who might pick up on it because the other half of this sort of internal monologue is this is good, but it, like it would be even better if I had like, you know, someone to cuddle with. Like she still wants, mm. she's still a bit of a third wheel in this group, even even if she's, you yes. know, that, that's going away a bit. But um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like I'm worried that somebody's going to come up and be like, Oh, you know, I'll I'll be with you forever if you just do blah blah blah, and it all goes to shit or something.
0: Yeah, or not. I'll be with you forever, but uh, who's
1: it? Miss Hardy or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, promise her someone else. Um,
0: yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this is just the human condition, and it's not especially bad for these three. But the reason that the practice is so insidious in my mind is it it's this promise of it can fulfill the things that you want, and obviously humans just inherently have things that they wish they could have or that they wish were different, that they can't really change. And these three girls, you know, just being teenagers, have that to a much larger extent. And that that, it makes it feel like they are so vulnerable to that kind of manipulation.
1: Especially, like, you know, as the About page says... All these practices have costs of some kind. Yeah, uh, yeah. It just may not be obvious to you. And, um, I mean, as we all know, teenagers are very good long-term planners, strategists. Like, you know, they're not going to just think short-term. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're ripe for being controlled. And and that's why we think Miss picked them, really. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like, it's interesting. I think well, maybe we'll touch on this later, but obviously a big thing that starts to come up at the end of 1.4 is Avery seems to be beginning to specialize in um doing stuff with these connections between people mm. and and between things. Um mm. and you're right, it's very interesting how she was seemingly someone who was like slipping through the cracks as you said. Um mm. you know, she's she was someone who didn't have many connections for a long period, and now they're kind of her forte. So I wonder yeah, I'm interested to see where that thread goes, I guess. I don't I don't know what I'm doing with it yet, but um like it, it seems interesting that the person who was so isolated is becoming the person who's good at controlling that stuff. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like is she gonna, yeah, is she gonna abuse it? <laughs> is she gonna
0: abuse it exactly? <laughs> is totally the question that you would ask.
1: Yeah, so I guess I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's worrying. Uh, who knows
0: uh um yeah so w- i want to talk about this chocolate bit right um <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate bar of course we're only what three chapters in and we get our own chocolate bar yeah, wait, conspiracy
1: sorry so before we go there um oh sure
0: before we dive down the chocolate bar rabbit yeah. hole
1: I-, I also wanted to pull out this this one bit um so lucy lucy has a comment where she sort of says um she's trying to finish all their notes and she says, um, I don't like leaving things unfinished. And that's why she really wants to finish these notes off. And yeah. I know, like, you know, we've kind of gone on about how Lucy's the mission-focused one. And we're probably going to do a bit yeah. more of that uh, in this episode. But, I mean, it seems pretty clear, especially based on this quote. Like, she 100% means to solve this case. And I think it's going to very much yes. upset her if, if anyone suggests that they're not going to. And, yeah, um, which
0: we don't know about verona but avery definitely starts to get the vibe that they're not going to be able to solve this case
1: yeah well and again like most of the others didn't really like matthew and stuff don't seem to really give a shit if they actually do like that was a that was a thing in the earlier chapters it was like uh, just look into it we just need you so that we can say somebody's looking into it uh lucy seems very dead set on actually solving it i wonder if that's going to be something where we're like oh okay um you know this is going to lead to conflict if lucy keeps pushing
0: yeah and i can even see lucy kind of tying herself to solving it a bit in a way that negatively impacts her identity like not Hmm. necessarily that she'll make an oath saying yes i'm going to solve this case but that the fact that she's going to invest so much energy into it kind of forces her to continue to solve it just by that being the expectation that people have for her
1: yeah yeah well what does she do after the done it like if they do yeah I mean that may not really be something that's within the scope of this story but somebody might bring up at some point if we do solve this or if we have to give up like then what what's your purpose i suppose yeah uh, if they're being blunt i mean because the other thing like that had me worried is like lucy you know they meet at the end of this chapter um these fucking three roles these incredibly powerful beings and lucy's just sort of going she's like now i don't mean to offend you but i'm going to be blunt um like did you Did do it? it? If you have a hand in it, yeah, and, and it works in this chapter, so like it should be fine. But like, I'm concerned that you know it, it's the first signs of her maybe not being someone who's going to respect the boundaries and limits to solve the case. Um, yeah, I mean, know.
0: again, we're bouncing around our notes a bit, but the the there's a conversation later with Charles where he basically explicitly says he lists every single one of the named others we have and. Lists the ways that they could like break loose and feasibly want to kill these three girls, and like <laughs> it could very realistically happen. So that there's, yeah, there's like if loose offends the wrong person, or not person, the wrong being, things could go very bad very easily.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I'm more worried about her. Yeah, bending the rules to any degree, like, you yeah, know, not not so that she becomes forsworn or anything, but so that she. Yeah, as you said, just pisses someone off. Like She's already feeling like, you know, that cop who will do whatever they can to solve the case. You know, fuck the yes. rules. They're, they're a thorn in the police chief's side. I don't know who the yeah. police chief yeah. is in this metaphor. Maybe Miss. Charles. Um, Miss, yeah. It's definitely not Charles. <laughs> Charles
0: is, Charles has the vibe of, like, a beaten down police chief. It's like, I don't want you guys to be solving crimes anymore. Just get uh, out of here.
1: Yeah, he's the Scully uh, from Brooklyn 99 9 Yeah,
0: exactly. Um
1: yeah, okay, so so go back to the car trip, we, we are getting on yeah. track, as you said. Um,
0: <laughs> There's so many... That's the thing about this story, though, is it's all threads it's, to yeah. chase, right?
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it's very hard to tackle it chronologically. Um, the last thing I wanted to sort of say uh, on this opening car bit is um, I love how well the Kenneteers are already starting to be characterised by their just the way they're sitting. Um, like, again, it's mm. a sort of what the way Wabo works characterization so strongly into everything. Uh, Avery is sort of sitting there nervously holding onto her hat for dear life while she ruminates on things. Um, Verona is, you know, throwing her hat around and experimenting. Um, <laughs> and Lu- Lucy's scribbling notes related to the thing. Like already, it's just reinforcing these these impressions we have of, of where the, each kinetear is at.
0: Yeah, what their kind of focus is. Yeah, mm. it's great. It gives us such a strong core pillar for each of the three, which really helps us kind of define the way they're going to be interacting in situations. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's talk about the chocolate bar conspiracy, Elliot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I was making it up.
0: <laughs> no, it must. Because, okay, I, I read 1.3. Okay, so let's do the backstory for people who don't know, right? <laughs> In Ward, there was a, one specific scene, which is the previous one There was one specific scene with a chocolate bar, and Matt, one of the hosts of We've Got Ward, dove into it, it was Matt, right, who dove yeah, into it, it was and built Matt. up this yeah. big conspiracy about this chocolate bar being very important. And it didn't, nothing, I don't think ever happened with it. I think another reference was made to it much later, but nothing really ever happened with it.
1: Yeah, I guess, like, spoilers, it was It was nothing. It was nothing, yeah.
0: <laughs> but now this is, like, clearly a riff on that, right? Like, what was clearly having fun with the audience here?
1: <laughs> yeah, because you're right. Like, I, I was almost like, this chocolate bar came up, like, two or three times, and I was like, yeah okay am i am i doing a mat like uh you- no it's, no it's clearly
0: something and then it even like it's this kind of central thematic through line through this first chapter where the chocolate bar kind of represents verona's i don't know impulsiveness slash natural talent at the practice and lucy's being a bit more like careful and then it comes back in the next chapter as well like i thought it was like okay that was a cool little bit but now it comes back in the next chapter as well and so there's this other chocolate bar that is now hidden in um Avery's room that is gonna maybe play into something. I don't know. I mean, it's just it, like insane that it this just,
1: happened. It just comes up a bunch of times and it's so hotly contested. Like I think that's the every every mention of the chocolate <laughs> bar is essentially people quibbling over who gets to have it. Like it's just it's just yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's. I, I, I agree. I, my best read on it is that it is just Wabo fucking with us. Um, uh, maybe <laughs> like, maybe with it'll, maybe it'll come back. But like, yeah, I just, I just think it's something that Wabo knew a lot of the audience might like latch onto, and he's yeah. just having fun with us. But it could be something it's classic.
0: It's a classic uh, chocolate bar meme. No, uh, <laughs> but the the uh, the thing about the chocolate bar is obviously it kind of represents to me this impulsive oath that Verona makes around the chocolate bar kind of represents her like (laughs) she gets it, but she still makes bad decisions. It kind of reminds me of this idea of, um, of Verona being this character who is, who knows who gets it on an instinctual level enough that she can push the boundaries and be impulsive, but it just kind of works out because she has this inherent knowledge of where the boundaries of what she should do are.
1: She's, she's definitely like, riding a high of a bit of a natural talent right now like and yes and i mean her whole thing that she goes on about here is um the the way that they're understanding that this works is that you know if you do something it becomes a pattern and then if you keep doing it a pattern becomes an expectation and and yeah you know you're smoothing the grooves of reality and it makes something easier to do that's really cool and so she's like i'm gonna keep taking minor risks and that way you know it gets easier for me to take minor risks yeah. yeah, it's like okay, but like, where are you going to draw the line? And like, you know, all you need is one minor risk, that it turns up. out yeah. isn't that minor, and you've fucked something up. And that's very easy to do when one small like can cause you to become like Charles. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I agree. I think Lucy frames it as like that was really smart, but really, really dumb. And I, I thought mm. that was just the perfect way of. Encapsulating what verona did it was like okay that's working and you're very clever for figuring it out very quickly but like you know you're you're gonna crash and burn if if you're not careful
0: yeah she also pulls this hat trick right which is another example of this of Mm. her basically trying to start to define herself by she does the impulsive things and they kind of work out
1: yeah yeah And, and it's really clever too i mean like you know going from the The T crosses stuff out to the straight line, radiates to thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, well, if I make a little boomerang symbol, maybe it'll come back to me. It's very clever. And she added that whole unnecessary risk thing and and it it does work out. And it's just kind of like, I don't know if she should be getting rewarded for this sort of behavior, but I guess this is how this world works. And I'm very concerned. Um, Yeah. I I think the other thing that's really interesting here is like thinking about I I'm I'm uncertain, but I definitely had the impression after the awakening ceremony that the the three cannot's power is somewhat intertwined. Like I if yeah. one of them is hurting, I assume it's going to affect the other two. Yeah. Which leads into this whole thing of like if Verona wanted to say something like, You will go and get me a chocolate bar as soon as you can. Hmm. They're kind of obligated to do it because then it hurts them if she ends up yeah if she gets well.
0: forsworn yeah
1: exactly like never mind the fact that she's just their friend and they don't want her forsworn. It's um,
0: a it's a wild play to make to kind of <laughs> throw yourself on this forsworn dagger to hurt the other two, but it could be done.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, wait, because it, that's the boundary Verona feels like she's already pushing up against with this. Yeah. I will not answer any more questions until you give me the chocolate bar. I mean, you know. Lucy started it, it was kind of a dick move to kick it away, whatever, like, I don't want to get caught in the petty 13-year-old squabbles, but, like, yeah. um, it, yeah, it's it's a concerning precedent to start making.
0: No, I agree with you 100%. It feels like we're starting to see the weaknesses, there, there are clear strengths that come from the fact that they awaken together, but we're starting to see some of the weaknesses as well, um,
1: take shape. That is a perfect lead into um, the next quote I wanted to pull, which is, um, yeah, uh One of the things they get told is uh triangles can impart more force on the rest of the world because they point outwards, but they also have points of weakness and points of strength, mm-hmm. and they could thus collapse, especially if the diagram was imbalanced i mean we have We have three who are part of this like trio you know the the Kennedy's, there's three of them i I find it very hard not to believe that's some sort of metaphor for the the structure of of them as a trio. Um,
0: yeah especially the especially if the diagram was imbalanced part right yes. like there's been a lot of conversation about the idea of the balance being maintained between these three and this feels like it's explicitly saying again if it's imbalanced they're fucked
1: yeah yeah exactly so like I, whenever i'm seeing try like comments on triangles i'm thinking well, oh, we have a trio of practitioners here like so yes um very interested to see you know, they're pointing outwards with their strengths, but they've also got weak well, areas. Weaknesses.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, then they're uh so Lucy's taking notes, obviously the notes that we saw in the previous uh part, the supplemental material. Yep. Um the something that uh Avery says about Miss is it just feels like she can't help but keep a lot of cards up her sleeve. And it's interesting to me that obviously not just Lucy who we saw in the previous part but also Avery and possibly Verona as well are all starting to suspect Miss quite heavily. Um I don't know, I don't I don't, I don't see it, you know. Like she doesn't seem the type. I, I still <laughs> I still think Charles is my number one suspect, although these two chapters do do a lot to try and dis- disabuse me of that notion.
1: Yes, I'm sure I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later. Um but I mean, you know, this this line about how Miss can't keep but can't help but keep a lot of cards up her sleeve. It's like she literally has a hidden face and I believe hidden hands. Um, yeah. Hiding things kind of seems like her deal, um, you know, at least on a physical level. I wouldn't be surprised to learn it does extend beyond just that based on what we've seen of the world already. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. There's yeah. going to be something up with Miss. I agree. She's not the top of my list of suspects who actually done it um Mm. but like there's going to be something there like she's going to have some thing going on
0: yeah i think i suspect every one of our suspects has something going on right
1: that's a very good point it's that's all going to be exclusive to me it's there's going to be something about all the characters uh in this in this town yeah um so i I guess the last thing to talk about on this drive uh to the to the slumber party is (laughs) um we learn like, a lot about the practice, too, kind of by, you know, the, the is talking about it to each other after they've had this lesson. Um, so, Verona, as we sort of touched on already, is framing it as this kind of performance built around expectations. In particular, yeah. she, she's latched onto this thing where if you do it confidently, it's more likely to work. Like, her hat doesn't actually yeah. come back to her until she's like, you know, I can't remember exactly what she says, but she's like, come on, hat, come back to me, and then it, like, does. Um, yeah. And you know if if you keep doing things they're going to get easier like i guess maybe that's why it's called the practice um but the interesting thing is all this seems to be adjudicated by these things called spirits and this is kind of split out throughout the the two chapters here but we learn a bit more about these spirits which seem to be like omnipresent uh, mm. everywhere and you know i think the the example that's given uh by edith is like a twig has spirits of wood uh, spirits of brown of of life of nature so it's kind of like every mm. it's not even just physical every properties every concept but yeah. yeah every concept or meaning you could put into it um it, like these sorts of spirits exist so i don't know if there's like infinite or like how exactly it, it works like it, it seems like something that's not quantifiable because it's magical yeah um, and
0: and the these spirits are probably stronger or weaker based on the kind of expectation and belief that exists on the thing you know yeah and so it um, seems
1: like practitioners work by interacting with the spirits like that's what that's what we start to see here so yeah um you know the the runes and stuff are interacting with wind spirits or whatever um yeah
0: I, yeah i don't know if all practices interacting with these spirits but maybe spirits are kind of like this fundamental force. We see other things like uh, Avery grabs at one of the bands that she can see with her sight and and is able to use those. Right. Are, are, yeah. Are they spirits? Maybe they're like a type of spirit that manifests connections or like dealing with others, Are others just like collections of spirits. That seems to be kind of what Edith is as an example, but not necessarily what like uh toad swallow is. Um, right yeah So no, yeah, they 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 maybe are like the atomic molecules of the practical
1: world um yeah i agree you know uh, to your point yeah you're probably right that maybe not every practice is explicitly with spirits like because we we don't quite know what the boundaries of them are yet but it's definitely yeah. like some of them do like these these um like diagrams that they're drawing that's definitely like talking with the spirits and Avery's yeah. Theatrics, like they, they do mention as well. I actually think it was in 1.2 that the spirits are the ones who decide when someone's forsworn. Like they're the ones yeah. who are listening to everything. So, yeah. you know, they are to some degree this sort of omnipresent this thing. This and, audience. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they represent everything. Like Matthew talks about how back when he was a heartless, you know, he interacted with spirits of life and spirits of death. So. There's yeah. definitely a lot, like a lot of people who are practitioners who probably deal exclusively with certain groups of spirits or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're learning a lot about the world, uh, and the three girls at, are kind of chit chatting about this stuff on the car drive until they eventually arrive at the campsite where they're going to sleep for the night before they continue their journey.
1: So I wait. Like, the tone of this camp, in my opinion, sends exactly the wrong vibe to the Kenneteers about like what this is. Uh, particularly Verona, because um, like, she, she's just like, oh, this was my first camping night, and, you know, oh, I had a blast, and it's just like, you, you're going to visit, you know, yeah. the magical Supreme Court because <laughs> you're now detectives? like
0: Yeah. Like, no, but take t- find the fun where you can, I think.
1: If, I you, mean, if you're forced yes. to be,
0: you're tricked into, not tricked, but you're kind of <laughs> manipulated into becoming a 13-year-old witch, you might as well... Find the fun where you can.
1: I mean, look, I, I would agree, except I was already concerned that these three were not taking it seriously enough, and I don't think this was helping. <laughs> yes, um. definitely. <laughs> it's not
0: some super fun out. You're right. They are going to interact with what seems to be analogous to one of the four horsemen of the area, basically.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I, like, I agree. If they knew what they were doing, then sure, go find the fun and stuff. But, like, I, yeah. at this point, I was like, you know, and we see when Avery meets them, she's like, oh, we are so fucking out of our depth." Yes. And I was we just like, we yes, finally start to see, <laughs> yeah.
0: They they're starting to comprehend just how apt Charles's warnings were. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um Yeah. A- and we get Avery, we get a description of what Avery's site looks like. Um actually, so we got Lucy's site last time. We got Avery's site this time, which is kind of these bands. And putting that together, you can kind of tell that the banner art seems to be, you know, just them when they're using their sight. So Lucy's banner art seems to have pictures of swords everywhere. Avery's has these, like, ribbons basically tied around things. And cool. uh, Verona's is just kind of dark, um, which she said that she can see in the dark, so that kind of makes sense. I, I'm not not fully sure. We'll probably see through her sight soon and we can put something more concrete there. But it seems to be something about, like, light and darkness and shadows.
1: Yeah, I mean, she, like, all we know about her so far is that she can use it to sort of see in the dark. Um, yeah. I'm sure we'll get more next time we're in her head, uh, assuming you're wrong about your theory that the rest of the story is Avery. But, um, <laughs> I, it's, look, it's not a <laughs> serious theory, but if it pans out, I'll be impressed. Um, yeah, but uh, so Lucy's did have ribbons, actually. Or she She called them sashes, but it was like, yeah, Right, it, there were there were swords and daggers everywhere. Yes, and then there were sashes coming out of them that were pointing in different directions. So, in, right. like, okay. in retrospect, I assume those might be just like a different interpretation of how yeah, Avery of, of sees the connections these,
0: that Avery is seeing.
1: Yeah, Avery, I, Avery's sight seems to focus more on them, and then she's got like these paw prints of yeah. and handprints of blood everywhere. That like the only thing I mean, I've noticed about them. That's... Yeah, sorry. Oh, the only thing I've noticed about them is they, there are more of them, like, in places that seem healthier, is, is all that she sort of says. Like, where there aren't handprints, she says it's, like, bark is peeling or there's dead yeah. grass. So, there's some sort of representation of, like, how healthy an area yeah, is. Yeah, of
0: light, life, maybe, yeah. or, like, the energy that's there. It's kind of hard to tell.
1: Are they the equivalent of what Lucy was seeing in the daggers? Or maybe the opposite. Maybe... Maybe Lucy sees daggers wherever there's death and Verona, or sorry, Avery mm. sees like paw prints and handprints wherever there's life. Or I don't know. I don't feel like I have a strong grasp on what these things are. The only thing I'm confident about is the ribbons and sashes seem to be these connections.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I wonder how much these images of the site are influenced by the fact that there's just been a major death of the Carmine Beast right before they awaken right like totally the death and violence imagery is that just because the world is kind of healing now or while they awakened is that what's kind of happening or is this just what everyone's (laughs) from sight looks like i don't know well
1: because both of them place a heavy emphasis on red like uh says, there's red blood around all the swords uh the handprints and and stuff are, are red in avery's uh perspective like i I agree there's a high probability that a lot of this has to do with just the the carmine beast's death uh since it's associated yeah, with red
0: the imbalance that exists around Kennet now
1: yeah there might this might be the spiritual scarring that has happened to the area based on the carmine beast's death um yeah, like it, it should be more unilaterally distributed, but it's kind of all splotchy now, yeah, yes, yeah. we'll see
0: um yeah i guess we'll see uh we learn a bit more about matthew and edith here um there's this cool bit where edith is teaching them more about uh about you know symbols sigils circles um and she gets she gets a stick to draw with but instead of just picking up a stick she grabs one from inside an open fire (laughs) so she just reaches into the fire and pulls out a stick to draw with which is just so great and we learn like what she is after this but it's just such a beat of like I mean, yeah, if you're a fire beast, you kind of, beast, monster thing, you kind of would do this, right? You would just kind of take sticks from inside a fire to draw it. Like, why not? I
1: mean, for for all we know, from her perspective, that's probably better. Because, like, maybe by sticking your hand in the fire, that's actually good for her. Like, I I don't know. Yeah,
0: she has more control over the stick if it's, like, being cooked recently.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Either way, you're right. It's just a fun little, like, extra detail on, on how she works.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we learn more about Matthew and Edith. Uh, we learn the backstory. Um, Matthew kind of has this darkness che- uh, Chekhov's gun that I'm expecting to go <laughs> off at some point, or maybe not go off necessarily, but just be a thing that kind of shadows and colours interactions with him. I can imagine there, there being some tension between, you know, Verona and Matthew at some point, And obviously the tension is built up by the fact that uh, there might be this, like, doom demon Thing inside him that just pops out at some point.
1: I mean, the way he calls it like a doom inside of him des- definitely sets it up as something that's that's uh, to be worried about, rather yes. than just <laughs> like a, oh yeah, I have this little darkness inside me. It's like no, it's a doom.
0: <laughs> yeah, not not in the least be- because uh, it seems to be obsessed with killing Edith as well. which is like a classic tragedy setup, right? Like well, this could I, go very wrong very
1: easily. I, I was interested to know, like, is it you know, is it, like, wanting to k- kill her still, or is it, like, him? Like, I, I maybe got the impression that, like, he, he talks about how now everything he does is coloured by this doom, um, and so maybe it's just turned on him, and, and you know, maybe yeah, he sort true. of has, uh, like, suicidal tendencies now or something. Um, I now am wishing I had gone back and read the bit where he uh, kissed Louise and sort of took her pain, because... Mm. Um, he says everything he does is tainted by this doom. So yeah, was there some
0: darkness there too? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe that was why it was such a like, terrible experience for Louise, even though you know it was healing her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Could be. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. I, I feel like we're still in the phase of the story where we're setting up just like the things <laughs> to be worried about with each character and we'll see yeah. them start to pay off as we get further in. No, um, it's
1: it's still arc one. We're still we're still putting pieces on the board a little bit. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: Um, the I I found the way that Edith's story was told quite interesting to me because mm. you know she she's a spirit that's took over someone's body, right? Like that's what she is, and there's no good way to do that. But the best possible, like the most ethical way to do that is find someone who's brain dead and bring them back and give them some semblance of life and reunite them with their family. Right. Which is basically what Edith has done, which is like, yeah. if you had to try and have a monster that inhabited people's bodies and make it as nice <laughs> as you possibly could, that's what you would do. Right. <laughs> Similarly, Charles is this like forsworn practitioner, but the way he got forsworn was, you know, someone needled him in an argument where he was making what seems like a fairly nice and liberal and, and uh, justifiable point and and they just kind of forced him to argue the point until he accidentally got slightly too heated and made someone take one step backwards <laughs> and that's <laughs> what let him get full sort. Like these things are like almost to an extreme extent the nicest possible versions of what their stories could be, which either means they're lying or while intentionally setting them up as like these are monsters, yes, but they're nice. Um
1: yeah I mean Charles obviously Charles has the icon why uh, yes. shroud over him all the right, time but, for me. But um,
0: but Matthew and and Eva kind of back up his story in the right ways that mean do. this seems to be at least here telling the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I'd love to hear the other guys' side. I'm sure I I'm I'm more than willing to believe Charles was you know wait not that bad based on the story he tells, but maybe yeah. he wasn't quite as innocent and angelic as he makes out. You know, like the he might be. Moving the details a little bit more in his favour as he retells the story, like I think that would be the human thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I do I, I do want to touch on all the Edith stuff though as well because yeah, that's sure. like, as you said, it, it's kind of fascinating. Um, I I mean yeah, so first of all, it's not just that she replaced this this girl Edith um, when she sort of took over the body, but it's like there's you know yeah. bits of Edith in her. It's like the, the yes, the fire spirit merged with Edith um yeah. which is really interesting
0: yeah um, I, I it's interesting as well that Edith is still in there and kind of i think what she says is enjoys the time that they spend with her family like she's kind of given original Edith back the ability to interact with her family sometimes
1: yeah so it's like you know maybe she's 10% Edith or whatever like, i got I, yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. something you want to try and quantify but there's a piece of Edith in her um, which is like, you know, I, I, it seems like the spirit is running the show, but there's enough of Edith that it matters.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the,
1: the, the dynamic between Matthew and Edith is also very mm. interesting. Like, uh, Avery takes note of the fact that Matthew is kind of dominating the conversation and Edith just gets yeah. to chime in every now and then, um, which Avery seems to tie to what I assume is an unhealthy relationship in her own family. Yeah. Um. But like, what it made me do is focus in on like how Matthew sort of found this spirit back when it was just you know this sort of ghost of various fire related things, Mm. and he sort of says, "I talked to her for hours sometimes, trying to bring out the responses that made that helped her take a more human shape." Mm. And I like, I might be, I might be being unfair here, but I like when you're looking through that of the lens of is Matthew. Secretly, like controlling or whatever, I couldn't help but notice. Like he, he's found something that's that's barely human, and you know, yeah, didn't have many responses, whatever that means. And he's kind of shaped it into something that he's yeah. now fallen in love it, with and married. Like there's,
0: <laughs> he's infused it into his perfect woman. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like there's, I'm not saying that. I'm I'm not saying 100 percent that's how like it's meant to be read. Right, but like you, you can take that reading away if you're yeah definitely. To. Um the the sort of other side to all this is Edith seems to be getting happier the further away they get from civilization, which I don't know how much that's just her being a spirit, um, as I think it's Lucy suggests. Yeah. Um uh, but like Edith mentions right at the start that she is and she was, so she was and she is fleeting. And I wonder if like she's forcing herself to stay together for Matthew, like and that could be mm. because she feels guilt that he has the doom or whatever. But, like, I wonder if it's more just she's going against her nature to be with him for whatever reason. Mm. And and that just makes her miserable on some level. Like, I mean, that's good storytelling, like, the head and the heart, like, <laughs> going against each other. That's George R. Yeah. Martin's old thing. So, like, uh, I, it makes me more interested. But um, I think Avery's right. There's maybe some angle to this relationship that we're not seeing that's maybe not as... You know wholesome as as their relationship seems to be,
0: yeah I mean the the power dynamic between a practitioner in air quotes and an other who are married i mean there there has to be weird parts that are just inherent to that power dynamic, so even in a perfect situation, there would be some things that you just that just would be weird and awkward interactions,
1: yeah, yeah
0: um yeah uh i I you're right there's more going on here i don't know if it's enough for me to put matthew fully onto the suspect list which right now is just charles um
1: (laughs) yeah okay well actually let's talk about charles as well because uh right after meeting matthew and edith more deeply we we get more details on charles um as you said again there's always that shroud of he can lie he can lie
0: Um, he's the only character so far who can lie (laughs) uh, apart from um whatever the person's name who the interlude was from
1: uh louise yeah
0: louise that's um
1: but like so charles basically frames a lot of it as he's like oh everyone is inclined to hate me and not take me seriously or whatever because i have bad karma yeah um and it's funny because like all three, like, we've seen Charles from all three of the Kenneteers' perspectives, and he's right, all three of them have totally roasted him in their, in their like, descriptions of him, like, we've got an axe murderer, homeless, yes. yeah. like, he, it, it's not even a super consistent description of why he's bad, it's just they all seem to find reasons to think he's shit, it makes me believe that there's some truth to what he's saying, and again, Matthew and Edith don't question it at all, so, like, I... I have reason to believe that he's right. That like he seems to have bad luck. Like just working off the concept of karma as it appears in like Indian um, religions and stuff. Yeah, you know, having bad karma will lead you to having like bad luck and stuff in some interpretations. So I think like he's, yeah, he's basically suggesting that since he's forsworn, he's now cursed with just always putting his foot in his mouth. And he does luck. it so many times in <laughs> this chapter,
0: right? Like, I, you can't help but start to view him as just kind of pathetic over the course yeah. of this chapter. He just keeps fucking up.
1: And th- that might be this karma. Like, he's just constantly Yeah, we're getting... being affected by karma. <laughs> yeah, well, we're seeing things through the perspective of, of these girls who are being affected by karma. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. it, I, I mean- Again, you know, we're keeping the politics out of it again this week, but... um, <laughs> I,
0: I, Fuck that. Let's get political.
1: I can't help but view Charles as like a bit of a metaphor for somebody who's like a convicted criminal or who has a life sentence or, or whatever. I mean, the, yeah. the comparison is pretty he, much invited by the yeah. text. Uh, he up. brings up
0: the idea of of the injustice in the prison system as a result of America's uh, privatization of prisons, right? And... Um, yeah. And then, from then on, you can't <laughs> drop the idea of Charles and prisons,
1: yeah, exactly, like um and, and the, the whole concept here is he he's stuffed up, he's done one thing wrong, yeah, um depending on how true his interpretation of the events is like it wasn't even that bad what he did mm. um and now, like he can't practice, which is kind of a, in a metaphor for getting a job um he's lost all these sorts of basic rights like he, he you know he doesn't get to sit in on the audience with these things like he's sort of, you know, lost his right to vote or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, he, he's considered it's lucky for him to be the town's punching bag because of the yeah. closest he could get to a job. Like, it's just- He, he
0: walks into a place and immediately inv- invokes the- if not hatred at least disgust of everyone there right
1: yeah disgust is definitely a good word for it um so yeah like, like
0: I, the bit. I, sorry i just have to point out the bit where they're in the common beast's lair and the three horsemen or whatever arrive and they're immediately like charles you have and he's like i know i know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so good
1: <laughs> like he's Poor just guy. so he's just so beaten down and like yeah i like yeah I'm quite sympathetic to Charles, I'm actually kind of willing to believe him on all this stuff, and, and I actually think he probably is a good guy who got a really like poor end of the stick, and I think part of it is because the stories invited me to make this metaphor of seeing him as someone who's being who's been convicted by the system and he's not yeah. getting a second chance. Um, yeah, definitely which makes it funny like the idea of bringing him on this trip because he can't even really go into this domain so it's like mm. bring him on this trip is almost like you know how they send kids to prison to scare them out of yeah, it's becoming prisoners program yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like he's i think maybe part of the reason for that is uh, for bringing him is that
0: yeah yeah i mean it seems like charles is around to be the example of what not to do to the two yeah. three main characters
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Um, I want to talk about the idea that this book, the fact that it's an active mystery feels so different to the experience I've had reading other Wabo works. Like obviously all of them have had elements of mystery throughout, but this one is the only one that's explicitly setting up a mystery from the start. And I'm so like in the mode of questioning and overanalyzing everything. (laughs) And the other verse that this story is set in is all about like theatrics and, and lying and identities and truths. Like, it's so theatrical and the story is such an interesting experience because of it. I just, I'm really enjoying it so far.
1: It, it's a really perfect blend, isn't it? Like we've got this world where, you know, everything is, we've got these spirits around everywhere that are just like these concepts of meaning. We can visualise the connections between everything. Everyone has to tell the truth, and yet there's still like a murder mystery. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. I, I agree. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to avoid like, working myself into a knot, overanalyzing everything, but I'm failing miserably. I'm I'm diving down so many stupid rabbit holes, trying to figure out extra clues. Lots of extrapolating going on over here.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, um, again, just a lot of threads to tug at, which is very interesting. And I'm glad, you know, we decided on doing this, uh, this show, this podcast, when we heard that we were going back to the world of Pact. Um, but I'm really glad now that we're both reading this story for the first time and it's so mysterious. <laughs> like it's just such a fun setup.
1: You're right. I, I don't think this story would be as fun to do with the format where somebody's already read it. Um, yeah. It, it's much more fun for both of us to just be going crazy, trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, and the definitely. and the audience as well. Like I think the audience not knowing as well, like we're all in this ship together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um.
1: So I guess the last thing I want to touch on in this sort of campfire scene is Verona and Lucy are constantly butting in like over each other. Like, mm. yeah, you, you know, it's this dynamic we've already talked about a bunch, where um, somebody will say something like, "Oh, I used to be a heartless practitioner," and Verona's like, "Can you tell us more about that?" And then Lucy's like, "No, shut up! Like, you know, keep it on topic. Like, we, you know, it's she's so mission focused." And it already starts to feel like, I mean, it's very much starting to feel like something that's going to lead to some kind of conflict. Yeah. Like maybe I, not a major one, like maybe just some sort of minor one, but like, you know, you can already see them kind of just like grating on each other the way that they're both constantly like pivoting the conversation, 90, like 90 degrees.
0: Yeah. I wonder, like, obviously they have this dynamic of they're, they've known each other for long enough that they've got to at this point of being comfortable, just kind of,
1: what them, we in australia would call shit up.
0: talking and yeah exactly right and avery is so clearly not at that place with them like she's still yes. so awkward around them i don't Ooh. know i wonder how that dynamics is going to play out more
1: i mean that's a really interesting thing with all this is like i was just talking about how those two are constantly butting over each other asking questions avery says like three things in this whole conversation to them like uh verona and lucy each say like 20 or 30 like, she yes. speaks barely at all. Like, she's right down there with Edith for a number of words said. <laughs> um, she may, she actually even gets interrupted a few times as she's starting to speak. And um, I'll, I'll talk more about this maybe a little bit in the next chapter. But, like, definitely, you know, that's the third side to this potential conflict between the other two butting heads is Avery not having as much of a voice as, as she would. And, you know, yeah. we've just talked about how much this world seems to rely on, like, theatrics and all that um starting to get a little worried that Avery's you know quietly sitting in the corner um that's not good for your uh theatrical points
0: yeah I I mean it comes back to this idea of the balance between them right and this is something Avery explicitly thinks about when they're at the campsite it's like what am I gonna do to not just be the third one (laughs) right
1: yes yeah exactly we'll have to see Uh, yeah
0: yeah um, they they arrive finally at the main, the domain of the Carmine Beast, and when they get there, they meet the other three horsemen, I guess?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is so <laughs> fascinating. Um, yeah. First of all, we had no idea that there were more. Like, should yes. somebody have brought this up? <laughs> yeah, more? the fact
0: that the Carmine Beast was one of a group of four, like, forces. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're not fully analogous to the biblical horsemen, but they kind of have this vibe of, like, strong personifications of concepts right i i got yep. the vibe that there was carmine is like war or like hunting kind of yeah um, there's one who's gold who i just kind of put down as greed i don't know um and then the two others one of them has this kind of deathy vibe and then there's the woman in yep. the white furs who is i don't know commerce something i it's,
1: well, who knows well, but. if you go off your four horsemen thing she would be uh conquest uh because yeah, conquest I could... had the white horse Okay, um, that
0: kind of makes sense,
1: but um, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, I I don't want to stick them on the four horsemen too much because, like, yes, Ma- Matthew brings up a different comparison, which was the azure dragon, the vermilion bird, the white tiger, and the black tortoise. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I googled those, and they are like this. Um, what's the we quad, quadrío? What's the trio version, but for a group of four? quartet? Yes, that's the one. Um, or Cartet, they are, if you're in uh, there, There's um, this big quartet of like you know, uh, powerful beings and and they don't like map like to the horsemen, but you know, they, they similarly have these things where they're associated with different seasons, like different, you know, all sorts of different motifs. So like, I think, I I think what I've come out of here is maybe, you know, they don't, these four aren't going to map explicitly to the four horsemen or these, these four, like, um, you know, Chinese, uh, like mythological beings. But it's going to kind of be similar-ish. Like what what's being tapped into is this idea that a lot of cultures seem to set up having you know a handful of very powerful beings that were responsible for managing the world in a way that's a bit different from gods. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I definitely agree. The black one seems to be death. Um, Carmine was obviously like war slash the hunt. Um, Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Exactly what the white and the gold one end up being, especially because the gold one's riding a centipede, which like is barely referenced, despite the fact that it's fucking bonkers.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, it's weird that that goes mostly uncommented
1: on. <laughs> Nobody seems to care that this gold person is riding a giant centipede. um yeah. but yeah, I mean the, the concept of these roles in and of itself is also just kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, like. Because they're not gods, but they're like, but I I think the best example is there's sort of this idea of they're like the court of appeals. Um, yeah, just, I
0: kind of got that vibe too.
1: And just like with Charles's stuff in mind, I couldn't help but start to think like, is this is this going to be a big theme for for Pale as a story? Some some of this stuff dealing with like justice and punishment, yeah, the legal um,
0: system, you know, yeah, um, like it's
1: starting to feel like a recurring thread. Um, so like, I'd almost be more interested if I was trying to come up with what gold and white represent. Like, look at what other things need to be adjudicated. What
0: other judicial branches there are?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know how much I want to rely on white furs is
0: the judge. The yeah, whatever. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Uh,
0: I do like the idea that you know this is a a a story that's about figuring out who committed a crime. Well, what happens next? We need some kind of like court or, or, uh, like verdict or trial, you know? And I can kind of see these three being like three, three judges that hand down a sentence to whoever killed the Carmine Beast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Cause that's, that's going to be the other half of it is it's not just figuring out who did it, but what happens then. What happens um, next? Exactly. And, and you're right. Like we're going to start talking about, yeah, justice and punishment in this world, I suppose. And I'm, that could be really interesting to dive into
0: yeah yeah i i'm kind of interested to think about I, like we don't know exactly where this uh where this story is going to go but i i it can't just be oh it was them all right and that's the end of the story <laughs> right
1: like yeah that's not really how Wabo writes like i'd be very surprised if it was just like oh and it was this person and we called them now uh roll credits yeah like i i think i think this yeah i like i i I, and that's the thing like all this stuff is starting to make me think i think the story is going to start to talk about well how should we handle when someone does this um as much as you know finding out who did it
0: yeah the way it works i don't know how much you know at least in kind of america um in the criminal justice system the people are represented by two separate yet equally (laughs) important groups there's the police who investigate crime and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders, and presumably these are their stories, Elliot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean we're in dun, Canada. Dun.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, it's <laughs> law and order, Canada exactly. Um, um anyway, <laughs> no,
1: yeah, but no, that that duality is actually really relevant because that's what we're sort of talking about. These, where uh, like the canateers have been set up as the police, and what yes. the story is already starting to bring up a bit thematically is, yeah, that second half is just as if not more important. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, what,
0: yeah. yeah, and we're kind of set, setting up the powers that govern over that,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and one of them's who's been murdered, so it's going to have to come up. Yeah, we have one of our top, you know, high court. I think in the US it's the Supreme Court. I don't know how how it works in Canada, but um, yeah, one of the top four judges is is the you know murder victim. Like that's yeah yeah, yeah. that's going to come into it.
0: Yeah. Um, so the other thing that we get here is we get our two primary suspects, right? Or at least we get yeah. what, you know, again, to take a, a leaf out of American cop shows, you need means, motive, and opportunity. And we find the motive <laughs> here, or a motive, uh, which is that the people who are next in line for uh, the Lord of Kennet is uh, either our boy John, the dog of war, or the hungry choir, who I guess would rule by tribunal. <laughs>
1: Ah, uh, yeah, and obviously we're going to dive into both of them in the next chapter, so we we don't yeah. quite need to go into them here. But like, obviously, yeah, I think the thing here is this is the first part where the story is sort of saying, okay, here are two people, here are some suspects, yeah, to to yeah, here's to where you should suspects. start.
0: And God, the hungry choir, like they they're so obviously evil, right? Like we've <laughs> talked a lot about how the others in Kennet seem to be mostly pretty nice. That excludes the hungry choir, pretty obviously, who seem to be openly malicious um Mm. so i feel like that's where we're being led of like hey it's probably these guys right um john is interesting i i we we learn a bit more about him john being this like incarnation of war spirit and the common beast being kind of an incarnation of hunting stuff like that there's overlap there like natural conflict between two incarnations of violence essentially maybe there's something there
1: um yeah i like i I mean i guess my thought is it's way too early in the story for the two prime suspects to actually be valid. Um, I mean, that's a bit of a dualistic- uh, No, I'm with you, though. L- look I, look like, at it.
0: I think that's what you- When someone sits, sits down to write a murder mystery, you kind of think, all right, who are the first few suspects that are too obvious, and I'm going to put them at the start of the story so you know it's not
1: them. Yeah, uh, but like even even in-universe, I'm questioning the whole kill the carmine beast to replace them. Yeah. Uh, system like i don't uh, it's again especially because it's been brought up so early um i like something that came to my mind is um you know lots of good murder stories have a second victim i wonder if one of these other three we just met uh will be next yeah because you know they they one of the things they mentioned is it doesn't always have to be four it doesn't always have to be three or it can be one like is someone if someone's powerful enough to kill the Carmine Beast, maybe they're powerful enough to also try and take out the other three and try to set themselves up as a sole, like adjudicator of the of the area. Take on the role of like yeah ruler.
0: Especially if they get power from killing the Carmine Beast, like they're stronger now, so presumably yeah. easier to kill the other ones.
1: Well, to to work this into this metaphor, if we have this established um, judicial system, which like seemingly is kind of shit, especially from my Charles's perspective. Um, Maybe this is someone who just wants to overthrow it and and implement a new one, and I think that's interesting to tie into the whole concept of Kennet as somewhere that's like this oasis for others away from humans. Like it already operates differently. Like it would kind of make sense that someone from Kennet is seeing this other system and thinking that's not good enough or it's too harsh Mm. or or whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if we get a second victim and it turns out to be one of the other three because someone or a group of someone's is maybe. Pitching to just replace the entire system, yeah. um In fact, I would. I'd love for it to be a trio of villains, just to kind of map mm. to a trio of heroes. Mm. That could be. Fun. That's
0: interesting. A kind of dark reflection of them.
1: Yeah, a, a so, pale,
0: a, a pale reflection of them. Oh huh?
1: boy! Oh boy! <laughs> We've predicted um, it
0: with the title of the show. <laughs>
1: uh Yeah, so I'm going to be keeping my eye out for actually trying to build a, a group of three who I think would map a different judicial system. Um, Interesting. I, don't know. I, I, I have no idea who to start putting on that list yet, but one day it'll happen. Probably just mm. after we find out.
0: Yeah, we'll figure it out right after our book reveals it. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. So that's the end of of that chapter, right? That's the end of one point three uh we dive into 1.4 which is everyone heading back home again after going to the lair of the beast they were only there it's like a one day two day round trip and they were there for like 10 minutes
1: <laughs> i mean I, there was probably more we didn't see um mm. but it kind not been that useful because a lot of the information we didn't see comes up so yeah. uh yeah i mean that's just the nature of a place that's always 24 hours away i guess
0: yeah just a bit of a nightmare to visit <laughs>
1: um yeah but wait 1.4 definitely opens with avery sort of in full-on crisis mode of what what is my role in this group going to be we've just met three intrinsic roles to the region and now avery's sitting here like wait what's mine
0: yeah how is how is she going to play into the trio um and she doesn't she kind of comes up with a sort of idea later which is to uh to counterbalance lucy's impulsiveness and verona's kind of natural Sorry, Verona's impulsiveness and Lucy's kind of natural curiosity by being the one who plays it safe. <laughs> not a yeah, bad I'd... role to play.
1: No, I mean, even Charles, like, even Charles can immediately see that it's not a good fit for her. Um, mm. I don't know what like, uh, I'll, I'll just say it now. Um, but, like, I, m- my thinking was already at this stage in the chapter like Avery she's got the deer imagery she's someone you know she brings up she's a ford she moves fast she's got stamina mm. um her whole thinking here is she's like I can't make a splash I need to find a way where I can make a splash I'm wondering mm. if maybe she needs to do the opposite if she yeah if she wants to play into her natural strengths she's someone who's quick and she's someone and, who slips under the radar yeah
0: be the one who um, operates in the shadows kind of
1: yeah yeah like uh not an assassin in the sense that I want her to go around killing people. <laughs> around but,
0: executing, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> but an assassin in the sense that she's stealthy. And like, you know, we already start to see her manipulate these connections between people like her family. Like, I think that's yeah. where she needs to to go into. I think she actually should start to be the person who notices things but isn't noticed.
0: Yeah, um, uh, which I think fits. But it fits in this very wild esque way where... Leaning into that is leaning into the thing that has caused her pain and suffering in the past, yep. right?
1: Even even it, better. It, um, it, yeah.
0: Like it's a very it's a very monkey's poor situation of like your you want a specialty. Okay, your specialty is not being noticed by people, which <laughs> is the exact thing that basically caused her to have a breakdown, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, oh totally. Like it's it's definitely a monkey's poor situation. But um yeah. like she has already been the person in Lucy's notes who's dropping down notes about how people are relating to each other and how they feel. Like, I think, yeah, she, like, you know, Lucy's going to be the one kind of bullheadedly asking all these questions relating to the thing. And Avery's going to be the one who notices, you know, the connection coming out of someone's pocket, right? Like, she yeah. with brother. like yeah. she's going to be the one who sees the clues while she's standing out the back, not being the focus.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I really like that idea. I think it's supported by the text. I think that's where we're going to be going. So let's see. Um, so basically the the gist of the first part of this chapter is Charles giving a primer on how tricky this world is um, and how much trouble they're in <laughs> and yeah. how uh, dangerous, you know, what exactly John and the Hungry Choir are.
1: Yeah, but you're right. He definitely sort of opens with like a bit of a speech on the various ways. They're, they're totally screwed. Um, yeah. Well, like, I I think the best bit for me is when he's sort of like a lot of these beings have been like playing these chess games, yes. for hundreds of years. Yeah. You're not like you're not going to win. Like I don't care how naturally like, good since, you are.
0: He says since before humans were wearing shoes or something. Yeah, like that. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: which is classic.
1: And then we sort of start to dive into um like a bit of the. The lawyering on the wording yeah, of the, the word awakening ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Like how you can get around that. Um, something yeah. I noticed that isn't brought up is nobody talks about, like, if an other goes for one of their families, does mm. that count as harm to their mind? I would argue it would, but maybe some other things would argue it wouldn't. Like, that's just another loophole I noticed they didn't touch on is um, you don't have to directly attack one of the canateers to. To them. yeah, to influence them as well. You can kind of yes. threaten to
0: kill their dad, and then you know most of them will try and stop that. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'd hope so.
0: You'd hope so. Um, yeah. It. I. I love that. I think it's this section where Charles talks about the wording of none of them will willfully cause harm, and then basically goes through all the ways that that can be abused. And it's this great yeah. way of of Charles showing. Basically, just how terrifying they should think this world is.
1: Yeah. And again, like it's just showing, like, I think when you first hear, oh, um, you know, others and practitioners can't lie, you're sort of like, oh, okay, well, that's going to make things simple. And then what what, what Walbo does is shows us that actually the English language is a bit of a joke and you can get away with a lot (laughs) of shit while telling the technical truth. Yeah. Um, And I think that's like a great way because, like, we've just talked about how this the magic in this world is so interpretive and, you know, non quantifiable. And so to have the kind of other basis of it be that language has to be true, and then you start to realize that language is uh, surprisingly, you know, interpretive and non quantifiable, (laughs) um, it's all just added together to this universe. It's just so not strict rules everything Mm. can be bent and it's all a matter of knowing how to do it
0: Mm. yeah yeah exactly it's yeah it's and the fact that people can't lie makes it worse because it leads to these situations of like every verona lucy kind of implicitly trust people at their word it's like you don't even question things because people can't lie
1: yeah yeah like uh, you have to resist the urge to like triple read everything that's said and try and like, <laughs> s- you know see the ways around it and that's basically i yeah. mean that's we get a practice session on how to do that from charles here
0: classic good work charles again just reinforcing to them hey things can go so badly in this world that you've accidentally signed or not accidentally but stupidly signed yourselves up <laughs> to be a part of forever yeah yeah um yeah and we get this moment of avery being like this is too, like this is all too much because <laughs> it is <laughs> yeah. like it's too much. Like that's the thing.
1: Yeah, she she has the first one back when she was in uh, Carmine's domain, and she yeah. meets the other three, and it's sort of like she's like, "Wow, we're really out of our depth." And then this conversation with Charles, you're right, leads to the second like, "We're just gonna die, aren't we?" <laughs> sort of moment. Or,
0: yeah, just like I mean, no practitioner would be a practitioner if they fully understood the depth of how how crazy some of this stuff gets.
1: I mean, that's what Charles seems to be implying. Yes, like you know, she's like, "What? What would you do if you were us?" And he's like, "Well, I wouldn't have done the ritual." <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I mean, thanks, maybe Charles. That's true, very not helpful. helpful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So we get this moment of Avery kind of making a bit of a defensive play. She so suggests that they all kind of agree to make some rules that restrict when they're doing deals or doing practice. And Verona, out of hand, does not like this idea.
1: Yeah, and there's kind of a reason for the first one, that even when Charles brings up. Um, And then there's sort of like an amendment that Avery proposes uh, to stick to our legal uh, sort of terminology. Um, But Lucy has her back, which I thought was very nice to see. Um, Like, you know, I'm hyper aware now of how third wheelie uh avery can be so it's nice to see lucy side with her over verona on something
0: I, I don't even think lucy comes down like i don't think lucy sides with avery because she necessarily agrees she just kind of wants to back up avery here that's the read i had on it, at least which is just very nice very nice work by lucy
1: <laughs> yeah although again like that's the thing with a triangle is like whatever you've yeah. got a, it's a always two-sided be argument up. yeah it, it's, it's, it's always going to be imbalanced yep yeah. um but yeah i mean i don't know. I. I this is an important discussion to be having, actually. Like Avery does bring up a good point, which is why I think they spend a bit of time on it. Like, what you know, what are they going to do? Because they're tied together in this way, uh, mm-hmm. how are they going to? What rules are they going to set up for themselves to to make sure they work as a team and don't one of them doesn't run off and screw the other two? Um, yeah, and and I mean, you know, maybe maybe a conversation that should have been had before they awoke, but uh, whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, better better late uh. than never.
0: Yeah, I mean, they didn't even, that's the thing, right? They did the awakening ritual before they even fully understood the world that they were entering. It's just like, they were just so not prepared.
1: Yeah, um, and of course, like, but what we really see here from Verona is she's even just refusing the sort of more calm thing, which is like just big, big decisions that will affect all three of them need to have at least two votes, which like seems like a pretty reasonable request, really. Yeah, yeah. and Verona's still sort of like no and she ties it to this whole thing about how everyone in the real world is miserable because they're working shitty jobs to pay a house <laughs> that they don't even like because and,
0: of rules basically yeah
1: yeah she basically implies i like, it, it's just it's exactly what we saw in her opening chapter with the um with the chores in the house like she she has this very distinct impression that everyone who's an adult is miserable which um i mean we met her father i get why she thinks like that um but she has all these concepts of, oh, nobody who's an adult is happy and is like, gotten what they want out of their life, and I'm still just confused as to what Verona expects happy to look like or, like, like yeah. what, what does Verona see 20 years from now, Verona doing that is, like, good and a good outcome? And, you know, she's 13. She may not have actually thought of that. She just knows yeah. that this other stuff is not it. Like, she she just wants I- to try something different.
0: Yeah, I think she just feels like her life is not good or not happy, and therefore, you know, she doesn't want anything that moves towards her old life.
1: Well, yeah, and going for the white picket fence and the standard, like, you know, the the sort of just getting a job and all that doesn't yeah, seem to be making appeal other to people her. happy.
0: Yeah, I mean, the practice is an escape for her, right? Like, clearly. Uh, yeah,
1: Yeah, well, yeah, and it's her way of having fun like she keeps framing it as fun as well so it's not it's not even just an escape it's like this this way to find happiness i guess and, yeah um, i mean based on what we're learning about this world i don't know if that's inaccurate what gonna it's happen. gonna do um, yeah yeah but i just i'd love for someone i'd love for someone to sit verona down and be like okay what does a happy adult verona look yeah. like to you because i'm yeah. still a little unclear on that
0: yeah definitely um i think she is too uh yeah. I think Probably, this is yeah. a good scene because it gives us, our, gives us our first look at what does it look like when these three have a disagreement, right? This is the first disagreement they have outside of that chocolate bar fiasco, which wasn't huge. <laughs> it was just kind of a little thing. No,
1: no, Ruben. The chocolate bar fiasco was huge. Yeah. Sorry. It's, it's a like central incident. The entire, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but no, it's just interesting to see like the dynamic that they have when they interact. And it's, it's not bad. Like, Yes, it doesn't go great, but it goes okay. Lucy kind of acts as the mediator in this conversation, and I think I think it, it's good. I think it's good. They do good.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, uh, you know, as sort of much as I'm giving them shit for not having had this conversation beforehand or whatever, uh, I mean, not that they probably knew enough yeah, to really have it. they couldn't, yeah. Um, like, Verona's point that she makes at the end of, like, we shouldn't rush into this, can we think on it? I do think that was probably Verona just like making the conversation go away and, you know, she's not going to really think on it. Um, but it is a good point. They should think on it. Like, um, there's a great ironic bit. I think it was actually last chapter where, uh, after the chocolate bar promise comes out, uh, Lucy tells them we can't make any more impulsive oaths promise. Mm. It's kind of like, well, okay. I mean, you're almost there. That just was one. Yeah. (laughs) um, uh, but like yeah, so like Verona's right here. Like they shouldn't, they shouldn't just make these decisions in in a two minute thing. But I'm, I'm not convinced that she was saying that because she's genuinely going to go back and think on it. I think she was just saying it to get out of the conversation. She doesn't like. And yeah, I think go so. Away.
0: Yeah, um, but you're
1: right. Like overall, I think they handled it pretty well. i would yeah. be interested to see whether Avery and or Verona are as good at playing the mediator when it's the other two having a fight.
0: Yeah, um, we'll see. I we'll, guess. Yeah. I feel like Avery would be good at it. I don't know about Verona. We'll have to see.
1: Avery would probably just not, I could see Avery not being like enough of a presence to actually act as a mediator. Those two mm. would be, just be fighting and she would get kind of drowned out she every time, be time able she tried to, get to
0: mediate. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, I think Verona would just have already made up her mind or find the quickest way out of the conversation. I don't know how she'd go as a mediator, but we'll see. Mm. Maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm being unfair. <laughs>
0: Um, so Charles gives more information on John, the dog of war, and just on the concept of dogs in general, I guess. It's so cool. It is very cool. I, I love it. It's very like juicy world building stuff, which is the exact kind of stuff that, yeah. that I live for in, in the other verse content. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very keen on meeting him and learning more.
1: Yes. And it looks like we'll be getting that next chapter. Um, yeah. To- toad swallow allowing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so what's fascinating to me about these dogs of war is that they just sort of they they pop up as a consequence of human action, like they're not naturally occurring in the sense that, you know, they're like native flora and fauna. Like, you know, like edith is something that occurs naturally in the world. John yeah. feels different because he's like this side effect of human, of human behavior. Yeah. yeah, exactly. In, in a and you know, this is all coming into all this stuff we've been talking about, where the other verse is setting itself up as this place that relies on like meaning and, and interpretation. Um, yeah, and, and you know, like war, like again, this just seems like a manifest. Like, you know, there, there's been lots of stuff that's talked about how you know, soldiers who come back from war, you know, sometimes the war comes back with them, and John seems yeah. like this interesting manifestation of that, like the war has imprinted not just on the people but like kind of on the world of the other verse he's this embodiment of that
0: yeah it's interesting i yeah we'll we'll just kind of see as we learn more about him but i really like we're meeting more different types of others it's not just uh you know goblins and and trolls and shit there's like all kinds of weird ideas and concepts born to life
1: yeah, the two that we talk about in this chapter, The Hungry well, yeah, Choir and, <laughs> and John, they're very, like, they're much more abstract than just, like, you know, it's a vampire, but it sparkles. Like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It you know, was really gone the whole y- nine yards to come up with something really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, the Hungry Choir as well is a great example of this because, you know, when we found out they were a ritual incarnate, everyone was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) And it's basically, it seems to be like an urban myth ritual, like, you know, summoning Candyman or or the elevator game, um, which is just kind of, when enough people do this urban myth, it kind of manifests into an entity.
1: Yeah, so again, it's similar to John in that it's something that seems to sprout up based on human actions. Yeah, Um,
0: human, like perceptions and and
1: effort now i'm wanting to tie to or tr- try and tie to how that fits into this whole judicial justice metaphor we're building but anyway i'll, I'll do, come back for that next week i suppose yeah um stay tuned i hadn't heard of the elevator game before um yeah. do and I you want to explain it. it
0: for people who haven't basically it's like this thing where if you follow a certain set of steps like pushing buttons in an elevator in a certain sequence you can get to a floor between floors and it's like a special, like alternate plane that you can get to by going to floor three and then floor seven and two and whatever in a certain order.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's all these, there's all these restrictions. It's exactly what I was picturing after we got the details <laughs> yeah. on what the rituals are. Like, you know, the the whole like there was the time one that yeah. um, Charles gives an, as an example. Um, yeah, I mean. So this is so fascinating. So I think we've already been having discussions uh, off air that we're going to talk about here about what we think the hungry choir might be.
0: Well, should we do it now? Do you want to? Do you want to yeah. drop your prediction?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I- I'm pretty convinced that the choir is going to somehow tie into this singing talent show that yeah. Avery's family is obsessed with. Yeah. Um. I might be bringing my own opinion of reality TV into this theory, but it's trash and totally fits with like what the Hungry Choir's whole vibe is.
0: Yeah, like, it's will you sell out yourself in order to win a prize, basically, is the idea behind these kind of reality shows. And maybe that's a bit of an overly cynical interpretation, but it's an interpretation.
1: Um, Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing what's going to happen is we're going to learn soon that, like, one of those talent shows is having auditions or there's rumours of a ritual to get onto, one of the mm. shows, like if you mm. do, you know, if you sing in front of the mirror or whatever, then you know you'll get lucky and get an audition. I don't wait. Anyway, there'll be there'll be some ritual that ties into those singing shows, and like you know. So the second part of my theory is that uh, Avery's family is going to get trapped up. Charles specifically brings up that the hungry choir could attack them if they sort of fall into its traps, and yeah, that presumably applies to Avery's family. So I think yeah. Yeah. It'll probably be Stephanie. If if you want me to pick one member of the family to get caught up in it, it'll be Stephanie and her mum. That's two. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, fair enough. I, something I liked is after you told me about this theory, I was rereading and I saw there's a line where Charles says, all we know about the Hungry Choir is they arose somewhere else and they've settled here at least for a little while, which tracks with the idea of this reality show as like a local licensed canadian version of what is originally like a uk usually reality show <laughs> um,
1: yeah i like that that's that, i hadn't thought of that that's good um but i mean like the other thing is the other imagery that's come up for the hungry choir is the people will have bad teeth and maybe yeah. that'll play into the ritual more maybe, or maybe like the UK. <laughs> oh,
0: sorry that's horrible
1: i was gonna say that um they have uh like there's a lot of people on tv with very fake you know uh teeth like yeah what's what's the teeth that get uh, you know very processed and maybe that's the flip side of it i don't know that that's probably reaching a bit but um yeah uh so yeah you had a you had a different you had a different pick for yes as
0: i was reading through this the thing that came to me is the is class ranker the app where they rank each other and i i do like your point with the show i think it could be but class ranker to me was seated as this thing that just seems so out of place like it seems so weird um And I don't think it fits as well because again, we don't fully understand what the ritual could be, but I see it as like this app that, that gets people to rate each other is kind of a way of doing like social damage to each other. It's like setting up a conflict between people who do it. And, you know, there are going to be winners and losers of this app and, and whoever comes in last place, maybe there's some like, not ritual, but like thing that they have to do or, I don't know. I I just it it hasn't fully coalesced, but I just the idea of class ranker, the app is so strange to me. I feel like it has to. It, there's more to it. And I think this is a great way of that playing out. I, I think it could be. It also fits with a, a classic wild bow move of setting up a, a major antagonist in your very first chapter.
1: Um, I, I guess yeah. Like maybe the ritual. Like I think we actually had names dropped in one point one of who the students were that started the class ranker for their class. Yeah. So maybe they're the ones doing the ritual. Yeah. Um, I would think that if class ranker was involved, they would be the thirsty choir, not the hungry choir. Um. <laughs> yes.
0: It, the imagery of the singing obviously works very well with the reality show that, but and not as well for mine. But I.
1: I yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm still sort of sticking by my theory that class ranker isn't magical at all, and it's just going to be like a normal, like benign teenage shit show, like because you don't. Mm. You don't need magic for your teenage no. years to just explode. Of course. Uh, I, I, like, like I, I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, some some other, like, TV shows like Buffy and, and some others have had things where you think there's, like, something magical and then it just turns out to be, like, normal everyday human problems. Um, yeah. And I've always really liked those twists. So part of me is just hoping that class ranker is going to turn out to just be, like, you know, normal human problems. Yeah, could be.
0: Yeah, I think yours feels more likely, the idea of people being hungry for stardom and going on this TV show. I don't know. It just Class Ranker still stands out to me.
1: I uh, Yeah, well, Class Ranker, I'll be surprised if it's not a thing, whether it's like yeah. a magic thing or whether it's the Hungry Choirs thing. Yeah. Um. I, I'm I'm less confident, but I agree. It's, class Ranker's almost certainly going to be a, a thorn in our side at some point in the story.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, but the, the people all go home, uh, Lucy and Verona go back to their houses and Avery goes back to her house and we start to meet her family Uh, and what a family it is. There are five children and two parents and a grandpa. So it's a very busy household. It feels busy. It feels very chaotic. And you can kind of start to see how easy it might be for Avery to just kind of get lost in the chaos of this house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like something I brought up in my live reads. um, I'm from a fairly small family, but um, I had nearby cousins who we used to visit pretty frequently. And there were seven kids, the the two parents. um, My grandpas lived there at various points as well. And also just like, I don't think I ever visited there and was the only person visiting. Like when you have Mm. a big household like that, there's just always so much going on that there was like at least another group of people like there for some reason. And it was, I was amazed at how this chapter immediately took me back to visiting my cousin's place <laughs> as, just, as a kid. Like Walbo just nailed the sense. Like I'd walk in, people would be leaving as I arrived. They'd be like, "Oh, hi, Elliot. Bye, Elliot." Uh, yeah. And they go like, we'd um, it, there'd be someone in the kitchen who would then have to go and attend some other emergency, so they'd palm the kitchen off to someone else. Like it was. I've seen all of the things that exactly happened in this chapter happen at my cousin's house, and I was just like, I was amazed at how perfectly uh, Walbo captured this vibe. And as you said, how. I was immediately like, "God, no wonder Avery was able to just like fall under the radar so easily." Like this is this is chaos. Like you can see why.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, it's intense. It's you can kind of see why Avery is not having a great time at home. Um, I mean, yeah, clearly her family wasn't great to her in the past, and it seems like things have gotten better. Her mum seems to be really nice and actually like genuinely putting in a lot of effort to look out for her and interact with her um, after failing <laughs> in the past.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the, I, like, I actually got the impression that Avery is very loved as she gets yeah. like the, a lot of, a lot of her family greets her, like her grandpa's obviously quite close to her. Um, Stephanie's an asshole and so's Declan for for most of it. But yep. like, she seems to get on with um, Carrie and, and Rowan. Yeah. Um, so like honestly having a 50% ratio of siblings you get on with and siblings you don't yeah. at, at age 13 that's just yeah good. not too bad um, yeah definitely so like i i really get the sense that they did love her this whole time they just they they just didn't notice like and i'm not excusing it or, or anything like it's still bad that this happened to her but yeah. um i i guess it's more understandable like i guess i guess the point i'm trying to make is it's not that she had this, you know, bad period in her life because she was unloved. It was just because they didn't realise like and yeah. you know, the se- the second they found out something was going wrong, like her mum is, you know, taking these times to try and fix it. And there's that resentment that it took so long and it took Miss Hardy presumably yeah. to, to make it happen. Um, yeah,
0: I love that Avery kind of suspects that Miss Hardy must have got involved because she doesn't trust her parents to just have made this realization by themselves.
1: Yeah, and it's like a very understandable grudge to be holding on to. I'm like, I get it all, yeah. but it's like, I don't know. Like, I I can't bring myself to hate her family for it as much because I think they're just, yeah, they just didn't know. I suppose you know, it wasn't <sighs> too wasn't many negligence kids to take care of. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a very complicated situation. I like I I quite like how I'm immediately all like, oh, I can see both sides, and I can see yeah. why she shouldn't be mad, but why she is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah very understandable um i really love this part we we have this part where there's a a encounter between avery and her her older no younger he's 10 years old younger brother declan and she calls him a penis and it's this great (laughs) moment where she then has to kind of backtrack and justify it and she does really (laughs) well right like i was impressed by how well she did this she's like maybe she isn't to the same extent a natural practitioner as Vrona is but she really clearly has the right pattern of thinking for practising. She kind of improvises this justification, which seems to work perfectly to, to solve the problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, she she has she's had a, a number of like deer in the headlights moments uh, yeah. in, this, in this story. <laughs> deer in the headlights. Uh, you know, that's what it is. I <laughs> it mean, is. I, You're yeah. right.
0: And I love it. Um, that's what it is.
1: <laughs> uh, but, and she does freeze for a bit here, but she recovers. And yeah, as you said, she does a really good job. Like she's maybe not, as quick as Verona, but she's hardly, yeah. like, she's hardly bad at this. Um, and you're right, it seems to have, like, worked because she does a rune a bit later. Um, so she's, and, and it works flawlessly. So she doesn't seem to have lost power. Like, that's the only way I would be able to gauge if if the spirits were punishing her. Mm. Um. So, yeah, like, I mean, I, I think she got out of it pretty well. I mean, you know, she's right. He was being a dick. Like, I thought her explanation went pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I like one of the lines she says is, I never want you in my face ever. It's
1: <laughs> uh, pretty good.
0: Avery. Um, yes. Uh, and then she also has this bit in the same encounter when she instinctively does some like connection manipulation. This is what you were alluding to before by saying, yeah. uh, you know, that she seems to be especially talented at this. And you're right. Like, her. Obviously, the the three have different versions of the site, and, and Avery seems to be more concrete in terms of seeing these bands between things. And so I can see her being a kind of a practitioner that specializes in these connections, which I don't know, is yeah. presumably a type of magic that exists in this world.
1: Yeah. I'm going to call them manipulators. Yeah. Magical manipulators. Yeah. Um, I, until... I definitely think
0: Avery would be a great manipulator
1: yeah so that's the word I'm gonna go with until until we learn what they're actually called, but yeah, like um, as you said, like her sight focuses on it, she's noticing connections between things as well, like I think this is starting to form as a bit of a specialty for her, I suppose, and I can't wait for it yeah like, what are what are the limits here like she she can see the chocolate bar in his pocket, like that's pretty powerful, like what are the limits? to what she can see or what she can't see, you know? Like, how deep do these connections go? And, like, yeah, I, mean, I don't know, it's going to be fascinating to, to just kind of watch her explore how good she can get at this because I have absolutely no intuition about how powerful she's going to be able to get at spotting links between things. Yeah, it's,
0: yeah, so the chocolate bar she sees because she sees there's still a connection between Declan and her, so she kind of surmises that he, he's stolen one of her things. Uh, which is right. Um, But yeah, I wonder if she can even get more specific, like if she'll even start to be able to recognize certain objects by the connections that they have and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, so one of the things that comes up right at of 1.3, she notices there's a connection between um, Matthew's truck and like the office. Mm. And like, I don't even quite know what that's meant to represent now, but it's like this idea of like, there are so many of these connections. (laughs) Yeah. like. What are the boundaries of what is represented by yeah. connection? You know, like, wait, like, and yeah. and, what is, and even if we know what those boundaries are, what are the boundaries of what, um, you know, Avery's going to be able to see and manipulate? Like, there's, there's a lot of unknowns here. It's going to be a really fun thing to explore.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, there's also a fun bit where uh, Avery sort of says to her dad after they've caught uh, Declan with the chocolate bar. She says, "Stealing has to be extra punishment, right?" And uh, her dad sort of responds, you know, your mum and I will work it out. The house would descend into anarchy if you got input on each other's punishments. <laughs> and, and again, like, you know, I'm building this whole narrative of of um, justice and punishment being a through line in this story. Um, I wonder if this is going to be a line that we look back on with a lot more weight um, when we finish the story. I don't, yeah. I don't quite know if it's saying anything specific at this point, but it feels Who's- like one of those things where I'm like, hmm. Okay, this will be this will be a thing later in the story.
0: Who's gonna have input? Like, is this the can it others having input on the punishment for the murderer or like,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree.
0: There's something interesting
1: here. Maybe if I'm right, that somebody else is trying to instill like a new justice system mm. into the area. Like, you know, may, maybe this will be a comment on the new system. They probably like, you know, maybe it's like some sort of anarchist or some like somebody who believes in the purge or whatever. Um, and this is a comment on that. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking yeah. out my ass. So let's, yeah. <laughs> we'll but, see. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> um, so Avery and her family sit down to watch the uh, the Hungry Choir's TV show. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Avery, there's a bit of a weird interaction with her family before Avery uses magic to kind of make them not notice her, um, not notice her leave the house because she leaves to go meet the rest of the trio.
1: It just kind of clicked for me. You could call... I've I've literally just had this thought now. This is another mm. note. So sorry for springing it on you, Ruben. But um, what's it going to be? The, well, her her family habitually, or or you could even say ritually, watches <laughs> this television show. It's true. It's true. I I don't have the second step to that thought. I've just yeah. had the first one. It's a
0: it's a seed of an idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh so I'm um, sharing it with everyone a bit early, but that might be something we can work with later. Yeah. Um, as you said like the, the real thing here is she she um you know spits on her hand and draws some circles there and um kind of blocks her connection to the rest of her family mm. um which is you know uh, like you were talking about that kind of monkey's paw thing that's kind of what she's doing now like she's reverting to the exact behavior of slipping under the radar that got her into trouble last winter um but also yeah,
0: explicitly doing it right like explicitly getting yeah. herself back into that mode
1: yeah, which, you know, gives me hope that she can make it her own thing and, and maybe find some happiness in it. Fingers crossed. Um, but again, like something that really comes up here is like she's not that connected to her family. Like they obviously love her and all that, but these scars from The Last Winter haven't healed. Um, yeah. She disagrees with everyone else about what they want to watch. Um She's not out to her family, clearly, based on some stuff Stephanie brings up about a boy yes, um, and all that, but she does seem to be out to her friends, so there's definitely, I'm already, like, there's already these lines being drawn of, like, she is closer to Verona and Lucy than her own family, and she's only really known them for a couple of weeks, so um again hitting that Avery is sort of chronically lonely bit but also yeah like you can see why she's jumping headfirst into the practice because she's already closer to these other two than she is to her family in some ways
0: yeah definitely um yeah I, again Avery is this is the character so far that I'm the most worried for even though she seems to be the most cautious <laughs> I'm just kind of like I don't know It she just she seems too vulnerable <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, she does. I, I agree. I, sh- I share that nervousness. Um, yeah, but again, the the magic she does here is cool. Like no,
0: it is cool. It's the exact <laughs> kind of minor, like, like minor self serving use of magic that I would totally do the most and seems yeah, the most fun, yeah. and also is clearly the most dangerous to be using so willy nilly.
1: like yeah. Haven't we all just wanted the ability at certain points to just. <laughs> spit on her hand draw a circle on it and just have everyone leave us the fuck alone yeah, like that that's a cool super <laughs> no questions have. asked yeah <laughs> great um i I even think the best thing about like seeing how effectively this this uh diagram that she draw, draws works is like as she spits on her hand stephanie is like what the fuck are you doing yeah. and then the diagram sort of finishes and there's just and no, no comment up to that yeah and like that that's that's how you know it's working because like you don't just see you don't just see your siblings spit on their hand. Ask them what the hell's going on, and then they don't respond, and you just drop yeah. it. Yeah. Um So yeah, I agree. I, I'm a bit nervous because there's that whole rebound thing that they brought up already. Um, yes. With the diagrams they drew to keep their parents from calling them all weekend. So you know that's presumably some of the cost of this stuff is when you isolate these connections. Yeah. You know, I assume they're either going to snap back twice as strong or they're going to. Um, break neither of those seem like good future situations for avery to be in but um i mean again she's a teenager she's not thinking that far ahead and i'm not gonna lie i probably wouldn't either because i just "Oh fuck leave me alone
0: (laughs) yeah i've just learned how to do magic i don't give a shit about the the consequences (laughs)
1: i'm not i'm not watching some talent show i'm gonna go practice fucking magic yeah totally
0: um so the trio uh decide you know they're trying to figure out what they're gonna do about talking to john how they're gonna go about it and they are bumped into by Toad Swallow, uh, who promises them gifts and then kind of escorts them to uh, the Kennel of War.
1: <laughs> I like that. Well done. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I mean, what could what could possibly go wrong with Toad Swallow? He <sighs> seems like a fine, upstanding gentleman. He wears a vest in, yeah. in the Oh, bushes. a trustworthy vest. <laughs> yeah. He,
0: they don't comment on this enough. He just crawls out of a bush towards them. Like, when they see them, he, uh, Avery's narration says... Toad Swallow and Cherry were crawling to, towards us along the floor or something, and it's like, okay, yeah, they're goblins, so it's fine, and that it kind of that's how it slips past you. But why were they in that bush? Were they spying on them? Why'd they like? What's going on?
1: Yeah, you could just imagine they've been like following them in the bush, waiting for the perfect entrance moment, and then he heard the swearing thing. And he's like, "This is our time," and this sort is it. Of roll, rolls out yeah. of the bush. Um, yeah, I mean, the other thing here as well is like, again the can showing absolutely zero chill for this world by still going out on this Sunday night to talk to John. Like yeah. they're not, they're not going to wait. They're not till playing it tomorrow. safe. Yeah. Like, yeah. They've like, it's Sunday night. They've just gotten back from, from their, their camp out and they're already just diving straight back in.
0: Uh, yeah. Reckless. Right.
1: Yep. Uh, so, you know, and now they've run into Toad Solo who, you know, I'm sure is just going to help them and, you know all the stuff Charles was saying about goblins being terrible to interact with. That's probably nothing.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of one point four.
1: Yeah, uh, we should quickly touch on the the, the extra material though the uh, the notes on um, yeah. the practices.
0: Yeah, I I really liked it. It was nice. I I don't think there was that much juicy info as compared to the previous one, which was like a real deep dive into yeah. juicy shit on each of the characters.
1: <laughs> I this one's less stuff to talk about on a podcast heavy, I suppose. Like, yes. But it was still like it was still heavy. Um, I think I've said this every episode so far, but third time's the charm. Like this is such a cool piece of extra content. Yeah. Um, even if there's not that much new information here that we can use to solve the mystery, like there was yeah. last week. Um, like a lot of this stuff had kind of been explained to us in the text it's so much easier to visualize just yeah, looking at the seeing diagrams. These
0: diagrams yeah this is the first time i've properly understood what the awakening diagram looked like
1: <laughs> yeah admittedly same and um, <laughs> we've seen yeah, like a few of those <laughs> yeah like that's a little embarrassing if you if you know like the pact is 950,000 words in this same world um yeah. I, and I, I think this will help me understand diagrams moving forward um, yes because i'll be able to better visualize it um like you know i think we've already talked about the fact like you know charles mentions he has all these textbooks or whatever and i think i mm. like i've said back in back in deep impact i used to say god i could just read textbooks in this world yeah, and that kind I'm of so feels like you. what we're getting here like yeah. this is just this is just a list of diagrams and stuff doesn't necessarily add that much to like like it, it's perfect supplementary material because it's just really cool and en- engrosses me in the world even more it's going to help me a little bit if diagrams come up but yeah. I just got such a kick out of reading it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, lots of really cool stuff in there. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I actually do want to talk, although, because something Wobbo is allergic to is not including a little bit of plot or characterization in, in everything. Mm. Um, and he did do that here because there's three pages and they each have very different handwriting. And I was immediately able to sort of theorize about which belonged to which of the Kenneteers, Um Mm. like the first the first page has like two circles drawn on it and then pretty much the rest of it is just all this handwritten stuff and most of it is asking questions about what else can this do like mm. oh they said this can it do this can it do this and I was like okay well that's got to be verona mm. um like all the emphasis is on what extra meaning and stuff can I pull out of this um and it's asking questions about the wider world that's verona to a T um then the second page is Avery I'll admit the first thing that put me onto this is just it had very neat handwriting i don't know why but avery totally strikes me as a neat handwriting person <laughs> um Fair enough. i'm not aware enough of my own prejudices to know why that is but i've mm-hmm. just decided she's a neat handwriting person um but also like the thing that made, made this solidify for me a bit more is this is the page that deals a lot with the directionality of the forces mm. it's like you know this symbol makes stuff go out this blocks it this makes it go in and you know, she's our she's our deer. She's our mover. She's she's running around everywhere. She's focusing on the connections, which is like the stuff tying things together, which isn't quite the movement. But like I don't know, like I think I think there's something there. Um, and I think that, that like that all sort of leads up to the third page, which is kind of hilariously Lucy's because it's like. I mean, it's just kind of the laziest in the sense of the information it's trying to record. (laughs) Like, one of the circles literally has yada blah written in it instead of the symbol because she didn't get it down and she just doesn't care. Um, Yeah. Like, the only thing she actually really gives any attention to is that awakening symbol we talked about, which is like, you know, that ties into the clues of the scene. So that's why she took the time to actually get that one down. But all the actual stuff on how to, you know do extra magic she's just like uh oh, whatever um, <laughs> so like, i i just really like how you like,
0: chill on it
1: yeah like i just like how even even though it's just a bunch of pictures and a few words over three pages we've managed to fit in the the characters and their their world views into the the pages it's really cool.
0: yeah i i really loved it too i'm i'm really loving these bonus bits i'm excited to continue Same. to see them um that's the end of our Val- of the content though
1: um yes and so now we should uh move on to talking about our discussion question uh, from last week which was uh discuss the symbolism of something in the awakening ritual and how it related to the others slash practitioners in the ceremony
0: yes and we got a few answers we got a lot of general discussion and a few people talking about these ingredients i think we only got one person who made a solid bet on which ingredient matched to which (laughs) <laughs> uh to which element which we'll get to in a second uh but the first answer i want to pull out was by Weir White, white uh, who basically ran through a lot of the ingredients in the awakening ritual and um based on their experiences with kind of new age witchcraft uh, mythology talked about some of the symbolism that was in there um which i found really interesting there's there's a lot so I, i'm not going to sum it up here you can just go and read the comment but there's a lot of really interesting uh ideas and concepts in there
1: yeah, it's it's like a really like long and thorough post. It's definitely worth yes. checking out. We don't have the time to summarise it here, but
0: um, <laughs> summarising it would do it a disservice.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, it clued me into a lot of, uh like interpretations of these ingredients that I was unaware of. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Same as um, we got a response by Sarah Penguin who did uh, put forward explanations for why which things relate to which elements. Uh Sarah put oil as fire and quartz as earth, which, or crystal as earth, which I think we both kind of were thinking of. Um, Yeah. The, the key to me that sold this was Sarah talking about the idea of myrrh as water, because myrrh comes from the myrrh tree, which in Greek mythology uh, is a woman, a woman called Myrrh, 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 maybe Myrrh, who was turned into a tree and myrrh is like her tears. So, I can kinda of see that that is that that's the first good explanation I've heard for why any of these could be water, so I like it, Sarah, which then leaves spices air,
1: yeah, I had myrrh pegged as as water for a bit because water is usually the element of life, and myrrh was mm. used for healing um and embalming oils um like to preserve yeah. yeah evidence of life, so like yeah, uh that but like Sarah's is like a really good extra reason, um, yeah,
0: definitely that's it that's the canonical answer i think now
1: <laughs> I, I do like how spice is air just because smell moves on air uh, i mean is basically yeah yeah the, the reason i think I that's mean, it's the weakest better, of them <laughs> it's better than anything i've come up with um so yeah yeah like I'll, I'll take it
0: yeah so good work sarah you've solved it oil is fire crystal is earth spice is air and myrrh is water
1: Ah, oh, yep, jot it down, put it in the wiki. It's, it's kind of <laughs> confirmed.
0: Um we also got a discussion question response or just a comment by Ace of Swords, and they were talking about a lot of things, a lot of different bits and pieces which you can go and check out if you'd like to. But I want to pull out one specific part, which is rumination on um Al- Alpi, Alpi the mayor, as sh- you know, she smiled, uh she sorry, she smiled at Verona and Avery. And uh, Ace of Swords thought that perhaps this is a kind of confirmation that Verona and Avery were recognized by her for some reason. So potentially Alpi has had some interactions with Verona and Avery giving them nightmares or something like that in the past, which is a great well, idea. I absolutely love yeah. it as an idea.
1: Yeah, that could be very fun. I guess, I guess we'll find out at some point, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but that actually, that actually ends our coverage of uh, last week's discussion question. Uh, What about this week's
0: discussion question, Elliot.
1: Yes, so this week, our discussion question uh, for everyone is, who can the Kenneteers trust? Mm. Um, We've obviously, you know, just gone on the the camping trip with a few of them, but um, there's a bunch of others we know varying degrees of information about, and I'm interested to hear who people think they can trust. Yeah,
0: because I... You know, we've obviously been speculating a lot about who the murderer is, but there's two sides to that. I think it's interesting to think, who should we rule out at this stage? Can we rule anyone out? And if so, who and why?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: So uh, leave Um, your answers in the comments of our discussion thread.
1: Yes, uh, but before we go, uh, we wanted to do another one of the bonus bits that we're reviving from uh, Deep Impact. Uh, and we're going to do a monster corner. Well, actually, it's a bit of a double corner. Two monster, monster corners, corner. yeah. Um, we, you know,
0: we've met a lot of monsters recently, a lot of new <laughs> types of monsters or interesting types of monsters. So we wanted to kind of dive into some of the thoughts and theories and evolutions behind them.
1: Yeah. So should we start with the mares? Yeah. I know that that's not the order they're in in our doc, but wait. Shh, yeah, what's the You're throwing the me mares. off here today, Yeah.
0: So <laughs> mares, we touched on a little bit last week. Um, you know, if you've seen the painting The Nightmare, you'll know what they look like. Uh, they ride on your chest while you sleep and they give you nightmares. But, Elliot, did you know that mares would also fuck with your hair? Uh, this is a piece of what? mythology where, as in, mess your hair up. Um, okay. They give yeah, know, like-
1: but like, what? <laughs> I get what you mean, but I'm confused. <laughs> yeah,
0: they would give you like super bad bed hair, basically. Um, or the theory was they'd give you what was known as mare locks, which are like really messed up matted hair, which is possibly an explanation for a condition known as the Polish plat, which is like horribly matted hair that was common in Poland when mares were kind of commonly thought of. Um which is just interesting, like just a weird additional thing that they maybe did is give you nightmares and also bad hair.
1: <laughs> um yeah okay i i wasn't aware of that the link between the two but i think um i do think Alpi's hair came up a few times in her yes. description in 1.2 so um yeah makes sense I, um i mean i i pulled out some more interesting bits i found from their mythology yeah. um like they ride trees sometimes as well yes
0: as in this is an evolution i think of the Merlock thing as well like that trees with really gnarled and messed up branches was what happened when they rode on trees. It would mess up their branches yeah. as well.
1: Um, but to, to sort of zoom in, you already mentioned the Polish plates. Um, yeah. To mention, sorry, to focus in on the, the sort of Polish interpretation of mares, because obviously it changes throughout different cultures and times. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were some some bits that stood out to me uh, in the Polish interpretation. Um, so, for instance, some signs that someone could be a mare. Uh, include being the seventh daughter, Mm. uh, having your own name pronounced in the wrong way while you were being baptized,
0: Mm. uh,
1: (laughs) having multicolored eyes or having a unibrow. (sighs) Um,
0: This is just like things that you want to bully somebody over. It means they're a except being the seventh daughter, I guess that would be a weird one
1: um one of the other ones is if you mispronounce things during a prayer (laughs) that's probably a sign that you are a mayor yeah
0: and that's one to me that is just so ridiculous like it feels very much like the crucible like some justification for being shit to somebody oh they they are they mispronounced prayers they must be some kind of (laughs) demon i don't
1: know um and so for this next bit Ruben, i actually wanted to turn it into a bit of a game um i'm gonna i'm gonna say something yeah uh, like, like a thing you can do and you've got to yeah. tell me whether it is or is not, uh, a common way to ward off a mare.
0: All right. I've closed my eyes. I'm not looking at the notes.
1: Uh, okay. So changing your sleeping position.
0: I mean, that feels like it must be something. It is. Like, yes, okay. correct. <laughs> so I think um,
1: so. okay. How about sleeping with a leather or, or like a scythe?
0: I feel like you've made that one up.
1: Nope. That one's real. <laughs> that one's real.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Um. <laughs> What about smearing feces on the front door of your house?
0: That, I don't think you would come up with that. That must be real because it's <laughs> yes, too weird. Yes, that is real.
1: That is real. Uh, what about um, drinking coffee before you go to bed?
0: That feels fake.
1: Nope, that one's real too. Are these all real? Uh, yeah, they're all real. <laughs> I'm just going through the list. Oh, um, God. There's another one which is taking the mayor's hat. So if you take their hat, <laughs> that they won't they will not be, be real. No. <laughs> um, well you
0: just take its hat and that protects you
1: and inviting them for breakfast also <laughs> makes them stop messing with you
0: oh, um, i love mythology
1: i'd be very, I'd be very curious to uh, like try and figure out the reasoning behind how all this came about both the sign someone could be a mayor, and also these you know this splattering of various protection practices that range in seriousness to a fair degree. Like, would you rather smear <laughs> feces on your front door or change sleeping position? Or
0: invite it to breakfast. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Um, classic. Yeah. And so, okay. So for the second half of this, uh, double feature, um, we're going to quickly do one. This may end up being completely pointless because I'm going to try and take a stab at what, uh, miss is, mm um, Honestly, having now read 1.3 and 1.4, she's probably going to be a lot more interesting than just cool mythological creature Walbo found on the internet. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it, I guess we'll see. I don't um, know. It
0: seems like Wildbo's things, if not completely based, like, in, based on the mythology, are at least inspired by it, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, there'll definitely be extra twists on this, but I, I was probably more convinced on this in 1.2. I, I should have brought it up last week, but um, I, I want to talk about hide-behinds. Mm. which are these these cryptozoological animals that they're not invisible but you can't actually see them because they're always hiding behind things Mm. um so they they popped up in like the uh the logging camps of like you know uh, the early sort of european settlement of america um so people would set up these logging camps to try and build new towns and there were all sorts of creatures made up during this time and one of them was the hide behind it was basically this thing that you know you could hear behind you but every time you turned around it had just it was quick enough that it had just gotten out of the way, so you couldn't see it. Yeah. Um. Sometimes you could catch glimpses of like you know its arms or its legs if it wasn't moving quick enough, but you'd never see the face. Yeah. Um. Which is what kind of sold me on on the maybe yeah. being this. Yeah. Um. They are described as mostly looking like goats or bears. Um. I mean, we haven't really seen like this
0: face, so maybe.
1: <laughs> no, not in the face, in the body. They're like hairy oh. and and furry. Um. So that's not a point in, yeah, in the theory's no, favour. Yeah, yeah. Um. But you know, it, this does equip us with ways to potentially scare Miss off if this is what she is. Oh yeah. What are some um, of the ways that you
0: ward off? Invite it to breakfast. Take its hat. No.
1: No. There's actually there's only well fire scares them away. Mm-hmm. Um. So you can make her go away with fire. Yeah.
0: Um, Edith versus but, Miss, the final showdown.
1: Uh the other the other bit of lore I came up with for uh or oh, so came across for why they're um how to get them to go away is they're very scared of alcohol so it was suggested that you drink alcohol or even <laughs> just carry alcohol on your person yeah uh, like open it has to be an open carry situation right okay um but basically just the smell of alcohol make them go away which i admit some people might read as just these american logging camps maybe having an agenda <laughs>
0: yeah um, trying to encourage their workers to get drunk
1: <laughs> Uh, I I disagree. I think it's very helpful hide behind law, and so yeah, that's so why I what drink because,
0: Elliot definitely to get rid of hide behinds.
1: Oh uh, yeah, Well what, what the can of tears need to do is they need to go rub a liquor store, and then they can make <laughs> and, go and away. just carry around open containers
0: of alcohol. <laughs> and draw and a diagram ar- on this, the alcohol
1: yeah. so nobody notices it. It'll be yeah. fine.
0: Yeah. Ah, <sighs> um, man! People came up with some wild ideas for how to water away evil, didn't they? <laughs>
1: Yeah, they really did.
0: Yeah. I love it. This is my favorite thing about uh about well about doing packed and now about doing pace uh sorry, not pace pale. pale. Yeah, I got it confused with something else.
1: Um, <laughs> is
0: the opportunity to just dive into like weird mythology that I never would have heard about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun. Um but yeah, that's actually the end of today's episode. Oh uh, thanks, are you sure? We haven't this. even gone
0: for two hours yet.
1: Okay. Um Let's just sit quietly for a few yeah, minutes.
0: That's his Um Pat it out. Pat it out. No, uh, thanks for joining us, wait, folks. I just,
1: sorry, I, I just realized our edit process cuts down long silences, so we just sat around for five minutes and it's no. going to achieve nothing.
0: Let's do it again. All right, now we must be over two hours. <laughs> anyway.
1: Um, yeah, we've been sitting here for 10 minutes. Yeah.
0: Uh, so... Who can the Kenneteers trust? That's our discussion question, and you should leave your answers to it in our discussion thread, which will be linked down at the bottom of this episode, down in the bottom, a little bit further. There it is.
1: (laughs) Um, Yes. uh, You know, if you want to find out more about the Doof Network, see what else is on there aside from Power Reflections, Mm -hmm. there's some other really cool stuff. Uh, Decomposing Worm. Yes. uh, Which is uh, Matthias and Clarence's uh, dive into, you know, Worm. Uh, never heard of, heard of it, of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh it it like it's really fun um i think like especially us and to a degree matt and scott it's just you know we like the story and we're talking about it and trying yeah. to read into it a bit uh matthias and clarence are like actually kind of professionals yes um and they they're doing this this formula where every second episode is like actual essays analyzing worm in like through different literary analysis literary, conventions, yeah, all this yeah. shit I don't really understand, but I'm excited to check out. But um, yeah, so that like that's that's going to be a really cool new way to sort of engage with you know a story. I'm sure all of us have have read at least one time. So go check it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely excited too. Um, the first episode has just come out, so check it out. Uh, also, why don't you check out our Twitter? Elliot does live reads there every few days, uh, live reading the new chapters.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much about forty-eight hours after the chapter comes out is is when I do the live read, mm-hmm. and uh, they do have packed spoilers, so don't come if you haven't read packed, or you know if you care about that, because um, <laughs> I can't I can't filter that stuff out live. Yeah,
0: um, if you want to find that, you can go to at media md podcast on Twitter.
1: Yes, uh, and you know Doof, um, which you know encompasses both decomposing worm and that Twitter, mm-hmm. and even this show. Well it it's completely funded by patrons uh, oh, yeah. uh we wouldn't be around without our patrons in this form nope um so if you could head to patreon.com forward slash do for media and, and throw some money our way that you can afford to uh you know it helps make these podcasts happen
0: yeah and while you're just throwing money around god wasteful uh no it's not we need it uh while, <laughs> while you're on patreon though head on over to Wabo's patreon which is patreon.com forward slash wildbo Uh, because Wild Boat is a patron-supported author. He can only write these cool stories because people give him money to do it. So be one of those people and give him some money.
1: Yeah, and, and like, you've just listened to two hours of of some guys talking about the story, you're clearly somewhat invested. So if you can afford to give some money to the guy who actually made this story possible, uh, please do. Yeah, please do.
0: Yeah. (sighs) And And that's uh, it. Yeah. Next time, we'll be talking about the next arc, which is going to be called what? We haven't even, like... (laughs) All of Wild stories have arc themes, like arc title themes, right? Like, do we know what the, what do you think the theme of this is going to be?
1: Well, so we've got Lost for Words and then uh, Blood Run Cold. Blood Run Cold. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know what the technical term is, but those are like sayings, right? Like, I'm lost for words or my blood's run cold. Especially
0: sayings that happen when you're in horrifying situations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. Uh, I don't think this is the end of arc one. I'm sure we've got a bit more to go, but... um, yeah i'm sure we'll be back for more lost for words next week yeah
0: Ooh, all right um okay cool
1: bye bye everyone <laughs> strong sign off <laughs>